Let's chat about how to get what you need for your home when you don't have a lot of cash or credit. You can do that at Aaron's. Rent to own appliances, furniture, and tech from top brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. But say you don't need it anymore, no problem. At Aaron's, you can return your product at any time or even upgrade it for something new. Life's always changing. With Aaron's, your stuff can change right along with it. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. See your local store for details. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get our way, a brand new show from My Heart Podcast, where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Volume. All I want for the holidays this year is some NBA action. This week, new customers can score 150 instantly in bonus bets just for betting five bucks. An instant dub just for you guys. The MVP odds are heating up. Just so you guys know, on DraftKings today, December 18th, Nicole Jokic plus 210, Luka Doncic plus 400, Joel Embiid plus 425, Shea Gilgis Alexander plus 900, Giannis plus 900. Jason Tatum plus 1800. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code HOOPS. New customers can get 150 instantly in bonus bets for betting just $5 on basketball. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code HOOPS. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario, Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash basketball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight here at The Volume. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Hope all of you guys are having a great start to your week. We have a very special guest coming on today, Mr. Jovan Buha, the lead Lakers reporter for The Athletic, is going to come in and we're going to talk about this bizarre starting lineup that the Lakers have been using the last couple of games. We're also going to talk a little bit about some roles changing within the locker room. We're both going to give our personal opinion on what the, the starting lineup should look like, and then we're going to talk about what needs the Lakers have at the deadline in light of their recent slide. So without any further ado, Mr. Jovan Buha is going to join the show. Jovan, I was reading an article from you this morning, drinking a nice cup of coffee. It's kind of cathartic listening to you just eviscerate the complete <laughs> absurdity of the way this lineup was put together. As you aptly put in your article, 18 minutes so far of this Jared Vanderbilt, Cam Reddish, Torian Prince, LeBron James, Anthony Davis lineup. They're giving up 125 points per 100 possessions on defense. So leaning into defense is not getting stops. They are scoring just 105 points per 100 possessions, and they've been outscored by 20 points per 100 possessions over that span. But hey, they're rebounding really well for whatever that's worth. So uh, I'm curious. We've seen behind the scenes. We've seen the references to leaning into their identity and and weird comments about Austin Reeves' minute load, even though that doesn't seem to apply to other players on the roster. Have you heard anything internally in terms of uh, turmoil is the wrong word, but is anybody like raising their hand and going like, hey, 
this is not a good idea. What are we doing? <laughs> Uh, yes, there have been some eyebrows raised over the past, uh, 72 hours or so, uh, when the Lakers made this starting lineup change. Uh, I heard, I started hearing about it Friday afternoon, uh, and and talking with some people. And at first I just didn't believe it. (laughs) I was like, there's no way, uh, like maybe they're putting Vando in because ever since training camp, Darwin has basically said Vando was going to win the starting spot over Torian Prince. Uh, he was going to be uh, the fifth starter again, and that was the way LA was planning on going into the season. But he suffers that heel injury; he misses a bunch of time, and you know ultimately comes off the bench. Uh, but so I, I felt at some point once he got his legs back under him, even though really the game before he had just said he's not 100 percent and still kind of figuring things out, that he would eventually go back to the starting lineup. So that wasn't a surprise to me, uh, and I, I think with. D'Angelo Russell uh, essentially being on the trade block since the summer with the, the, the way that the Lakers structured that contract that he eventually would either move to the bench or just get moved in general. So those two moves in a vacuum didn't necessarily surprise me, uh, but those two moves happening you know, together did surprise me of just looking at the lineup. Uh, there is not a second ball handler. There is not a secondary shot creator on the perimeter, and uh, you just can't play that way in 2023, uh, especially if you are holding yourself to a championship level uh, standard. Like, and I, I think you saw that uh, in the OKC game. There were plus one in ten minutes, uh, basically treading water uh, against the OKC group that didn't have Josh Giddy. And frankly, it's not a great matchup for OKC. I, I know you've covered that. Uh, they're, they're just too small for the Lakers. So the Lakers were able to overwhelm them with their size and physicality. But then you see it against Boston, arguably the best team in the league, certainly, in my opinion, the, the best five-man unit in the league right now. And they just eviscerated them. It was a 12-0 run uh, in two and a half minutes. Uh, Lakers could not... Like, I mean, you, you freeze any possession that's inside the three-point uh, line and there's four Celtics minimum in the paint, if not five. And they're they're cheating off of LeBron and Torian Prince. And that's kind of another thing here where like LeBron and Torian Prince have both shot the ball well, but I don't think they still get the respect that maybe their shooting percentages would indicate. So really you, you had the Celtics um, you know happy to ignore uh, all five Lakers at, at certain points uh, offensively uh, to say nothing of the way that they were defending Cam and, and Vando. So just Looking at that lineup, it, it never made sense in, in in theory. In practice, it has been a disaster. And I think the Lakers are going to continue sticking with it for now just because Darvin Ham uh, believes in it and, and he said as much basically post-game. But I, I think it's a mistake. And I think at some point in the near future, within the next few games, they're most likely going to have to go to a different starting lineup. To me, it it's such a uh, it's to me it's a representation of a basic lack of understanding of the way basketball teams operate, and this is crazy to me because you know me, Jovan. I never ever complain about the coach. I think that often it's just an easy target, especially for fans when they can't really target anything else during the season. And to me, it, like it, if there's one thing that a a a, a basketball lineup needs to do. It's to check all these specific responsibilities, right? And it's it's no different than like if you were to run out a a a uh, a big goal line package at midfield, and you had seven offensive linemen on the field, you might be able to better protect your quarterback. But who the hell is going to get open? Like, who are you throwing to? You know what I mean? And and it's it's just a basic it, like you almost are diminishing your returns even on the defensive end because a couple of things. First of all, when you have guys that are on the ball taking heavier duty responsibilities, the off-ball jobs are easier, especially for smarter players. And so you can get better defensive production out of lesser defensive players in an off-ball role, especially if they're a smart, high IQ player like Austin, for instance, right? And then on the other end of the floor, I know it sounds crazy and we, we, we talk about this all the time, the idea of setting your defense, but scoring the basketball makes getting stops easier. It just does. It, it Even above and beyond the geometry of the floor when they have to take the ball out of the basket, it's also about it, it's about motivation and passion. And just when you're getting buckets, you want to sit better in a stance and to fight harder over that screen. And it's about believing in what your unit is capable of doing on both ends of the floor. And like above and beyond anything else, there was no legitimate like – earning of the rotation spot. And what I mean by that is 
it's not like Cam's playing so well, you have to start him. It's not like Jared Vanderbilt is playing so well, you have to start him. Torian Prince is the one guy in that group where it's like, he's taken like eight, nine threes a game and he's making 40% of them over the last month or whatever. Like Torian, at least you can make the case he's shooting the shit out of the basketball. You got to have him on the floor, right? But those other two spots, how is it that by default, they are going to lesser players? That's the part I don't understand. Like, Like Austin Reeves, has had some defensive limitations this year. There's no doubt he hasn't been as good this year. Teams are being more deliberate about attacking him. But beyond any shadow of a doubt, the total two-way impact of Austin has far superseded anything that Cam Reddish and Jared Vanderbilt have brought to the table. So there is legitimately no logical case for putting this lineup out there to start games. And, and it's frustrating for me because I hear you say things like uh, what you just said a minute ago where you're like, oh, and I think they're going to stick with it for the time being. Okay, can you elaborate on that for me, first of all? Like, how long do you mean? And also, like, is he just under the impression that this is going to start working at some point? Well, I think inherently coaches, uh, you know, when they make a decision, because the, the funny thing to me with, with this whole thing was we had been asking about a potential starting lineup change during the skid a, a couple games prior and Darwin was in, you know, referencing, uh, I think it was after they lost the third consecutive game. It was after the Bulls game. And, uh, you know, Darwin, we, we referenced uh, when the Lakers won or lost their three consecutive games earlier in the season, that's when you saw Austin Reeves go to the bench and, and he inserted Cam Reddish. And that was the big change was, you know, this starting lineup isn't working. We don't believe in, uh, you know, Austin and D'Lo can play together and we, we want to try Cam out there. So they make that change and, you know, so now they're on a three game losing streak. We ask about it and he's like, well, uh, you know, that's a big deal to change the starting lineup at this point in the season. And, uh, you know, it's, it's not something that we, we, you know, are going to do lightly. Uh, so then they lose the, the fourth game in a row. And then all of a sudden they make this starting lineup change. Uh, and I, I just, so I, I think inherently there's a level of stubbornness that comes with being a head coach where when you make a change like that, you don't want to give up on it. I asked last night, uh, you know, I, I said with the way that defenses are guarding Cam and Vando right now and just packing the paint and completely ignoring them, do you think a Cam Vando wing tandem is viable, uh, you know, as a starting you know, tandem? And if so, how are you going to make that work? And, and then he basically went on to say it's all about pacing and they have to attack the way that defenses are playing them and use the space against them. But like those guys aren't Draymond Green as passers and decision makers and the Lakers don't have Steph Curry or Clay Thompson on this lineup. So it's one thing to, to use the golden state model of we're going to use Vando as like a dribble handoff guy and like this and that. But like, if you saw the way that Boston defended them in those actions, like they tried some of that stuff, they've been playing more four out. They've been having Vando more in the dunker spot. Uh, and that's another thing. Like they've started to abandon their five out principles because of this starting lineup change trying to make it work. And then on the other end, I thought Anthony Davis had a comment that kind of went under the radar where he was like, we've been, he didn't say we've been a, a drop in, in hedge team, but it's basically like, we have not been a switch team. Now we are switching a lot and we're botching a lot of the communication and a lot of the coverages. And I think you've seen that uh, where there's been miscommunication in transition defense. Uh, they were cross-matched with Boston because Kristaps Porzingis was on Jared Vanderbilt. So that kind of messed up some of the matchups. And you saw in transition, they didn't know who their man was. And then within the half-court sets, there was miscommunication on, you know, when are we switching these off-ball actions, who's sticking with the cutter, et cetera. So I think right now that they're kind of in a period of, of still trying to figure some of that stuff out. But to me, it just it doesn't make sense. Again, in theory, it has not made sense in practice. And I, I think they should pull the plug now. And look, they're going to play Charlotte uh, on Thursday. And they'll look great. 20 team. They're going to look great. <laughs> they're going to win that game. And Darwin's going to be able to point to that. But you're you, you got to measure yourself against the Minnesotas, the Oklahoma cities and the Boston's. And I just don't think that type of lineup is viable against that caliber of opponent. Yeah, the Oklahoma City game was very much a, a the the Lakers just dominated the possession battle. That was a big part of how they it did they did well in that game, and they were just so much bigger at every single position. I agree with you that stubbornness is the primary driver because like it felt like it felt like the obvious change to make was just swap D'Lo and Austin in the starting lineup, and if you wanted to get Jared Vanderbilt in there, you get him in there for Cam. 
Uh, but it, it almost felt like if Darwin put Austin in the starting lineup, he would be basically publicly admitting he made a mistake by benching him to begin with. And, and that to me is stupid because that's cutting off your nose to spite your face. You're not proving anybody right. You're just, you, you're blatantly shining a light on yourself that you are being stubborn. In fact, I've always found it more admirable when people are willing to admit when they've made mistakes in situations like that. Austin, by the way, going into the game where he got uh, not of like where he should have been put back in the starting lineup, but they went with Jared instead. He had like over an eight game span been averaging 25 and six on 65% true shooting, like literally playing his best stretch of basketball of the season, including just being an absolute monster in these in season tournament games. So it was like the most obvious decision that you could possibly uh, imagine for a situation like that. Now I want to, I want to dive more into this concept of switching versus being a drop and hedge team, but I want to look at it through the context of lineup construction. So we're going to come back to that in a minute. What I want to start with is one of my biggest pet peeves is when people are just like, Hey, that's stupid, but then they don't provide a counter solution. So what we're going to do today is we're going to have a little exercise where we talk about what the Lakers starting lineup should look like the pros and cons of constructing them in different ways and talking about what schemes would have to be used to work with those groups. So I want you to go first. If you were the head coach of the Los Angeles Lakers tonight or tomorrow night, I should say, who would you put out as your starting five against the Charlotte Hornets? Uh, so I would start, of course, LeBron and AD at the four and the five. Um, I would go with Austin at the one, Torian at the two, and Cam at the three. I think to me, the the pivot point in that lineup comes down to Cam versus Vando. I think you can make a case for either one of those guys. Vando, obviously bigger, better rebounder. Uh, Cam is shooting the ball slightly better, uh, 30% overall, but 25% in the month of December. Uh, but at least he's taking and making some. Vando is 0 for 10 on the season. Uh, so <laughs> like that, that that's a problem to me. Um, so I, I would go with those three. I think Torian... I mean, one, he's third on the team in minutes. So, like, any lineup that is, you know, pitching a starting lineup that doesn't have Torian is just unrealistic at this point. He's going to, he's a starting lock at this point um, and a closing lock, frankly. So, I think Torian you know, shooting 40% for the last month or so, as you said, on threes, uh, I think he's, he's a competent defender, uh, not necessarily a lockdown wing the way that Darvin uses him at times, but I think as like your secondary perimeter guy, that's fine. Then I look at that Vando. Cam spot as the point of attack, going to defend the best one through three guy. Uh, and then Austin, I, I think if Austin's your worst defender and you're kind of hiding him on uh, the, the secondary ball handler or the secondary guard, I think that's totally fine. And you see the Lakers close more often than not with that alignment. So to me, I mean, th this is pretty clearly the best lineup construct of, you know, Austin's your third best player. Don't overthink it. Start him, play him more than 28 minutes a night. Uh, Torian's out there as a floor spacer. Uh, and then you have the Cam Vando spot, which honestly, to me, could even rotate depending on matchup. But if you want to go with one, I think Cam has, in the aggregate, played slightly better. He is the better shooter. And I, you just you got to tell him, don't put the ball on the floor because that's kind of been an issue lately is, is him doing too much offensively. But that, to me, is, is just you know pretty plainly the best potential starting five uh, when factoring in roles and, and the way that guys have been playing lately. Uh, so th that's the group I would go with. So the t I have two lineups that I'd consider, and one of them is basically a switching lineup, and one of them is more of like a, a hedge and drop lineup. And the hedge and drop lineup is basically the same lineup you put together. Again, don't overthink it. Austin's your best player, or uh, best non-LeBron AD player. So you go Austin, LeBron AD. Torian's the one guy out of all these wings that is doing one thing at a super high level, which is shooting. So you put him in that group. To me, it's it's Cam is the better option right now. But the reason why I start Jared is I do think eventually he's going to get his legs underneath him and start defending like he did towards the tail end of last year. So I think inevitably in the long run, because Cam, again, there have been these brief stretches where it's like, okay, a two or three game stretch here where he only takes corner threes and he's focused on the defensive end and he's deeply impactful. But it's been a lot of random BS around that, which has kind of limited some of his effectiveness. And it, again, like it's not one of the things I appreciate about Jared Vanderbilt is he knows he can't shoot. So you won't see him take a pull up transition above the break three where you're like, dude, okay, we can get a better shot than that. Like he's going to go get the ball to somebody uh, that can make a decision with it. So I would go Austin Vando, Torian, LeBron, AD, 
in uh, like a hedge and drop system where we're trying to keep AD close to the rim. The, this is the other lineup that I'd pitch. And the basic concept here is you're putting your five best players on the floor. Okay. And it'd be Austin, Torian, Rui, LeBron, AD. This would be a switch group. Now, to Anthony Davis's point, switching has ups and downs. The upsides are it stagnates in offense. You get in front of actions. You shut down a ball screen game. There's a bunch of things you can do with switching to stagnate an opponent. Downsides, there can be confusion in switches. And when you botch a switch, people get wide open. That's a big problem. That, though, can be fixed through repetition, communication, just building really good habits. That's that's something where part of part of the risk of changing your defensive setup in the middle of the season is you can go through a stretch where you look like shit doing it because you guys don't have your habits down, right? But then the other side of it is like, okay, we can give up rebounding mismatches or we can give up post-up mismatches. There are downsides physically to switching. But you're huge in that group. Like, you're unbelievably big. You're... Torian Prince at 6'8 at the two, Rui Hachimura at 6'9 at the three, and whatever he is, 250 pounds. LeBron James, 6'9, 260, 270 at the four, and Anthony Davis, one of the biggest athletes in the league at the five. And so you have the ability to basically shrink the floor when teams try to attack matchups in terms of digging down and, and rotating and help, and you're huge on the glass. And so one of the reasons why I like that, that, that potential group is like you are trying to float things until you get to a point where you can reconfigure the roster. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. And that could fundamentally change the entire direction that this team goes. And you might have to kind of do what you did last year where you're basically a new team post-deadline anyway. But you got to get to that point. And in the Western Conference, you got to try to eat up as many wins as possible. I think finding as many opportunities as possible to have your best players together can go a long way towards helping you there. D'Angelo Russell is arguably your fifth best player, but with Torian shooting as well as he has and with the build of, build of that lineup, let's just call him your fifth best player there. And then again, you eat some of the lumps of not uh, of, of being as sharp with your switches and hope that in hopes that over time you can kind of figure some of that stuff out. But like again, to, to Anthony Davis's point, like there's there's you got to find what it is that you want to be and lean into it. If you're going to be a switching team, then build lineups accordingly and lean into it. If you're going to be a hedge and and drop team, then build lineups accordingly and lean into it. But this idea where it's like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna run Cam and Torian and and uh, uh, and Jared Vanderbilt, and we're gonna be this athletic team, but we're just like putting together all these other weird groups where Austin, we're like, okay, here comes Rui and D'Lo, and they're just gonna come down the floor and shoot every time because so we're fundamentally changing the team. It's it's been it's been such a bizarre experience watching in the last couple of days because all we're seeing is these really redundant groups that just have a bunch of the same type of talent on the floor and they're really really struggling and there's no doubt that they're underachieving we are welcoming a new show to iheart and the DraftKings youtube channel it is called point game with john wall and cj toledano it is an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and number one pick in the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. CJ will bring his A-list comedian buddies to keep it light and fire off some hoops takes. Plus, John will be inviting current and former NBA players, friends, and teammates to join the show as well to give their unfiltered accounts of what really goes on in the league from a player's perspective. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I'm John Seifer. And I'm Jerry O'Shea. We spent over 30 years in the CIA uncovering global conspiracies. Conspiracies aren't just a theory to us, which is why we started our podcast, Mission Implausible. 
Everyone has questions about conspiracy theories, but with our background, we can actually answer those questions. We break open modern day conspiracies and tell you which elements may be the real deal. Like, did Bill Gates use COVID vaccines to microchip us all? We all do have tracking devices. Mm -hmm. We carry them around. We spend a lot of money on them. And what's actually on Hunter Biden's laptop? You are talking to the guy that has three of Hunter Biden's laptops and cell phone. And what did the deep state build under Denver airport? Do you think there are secret bunkers? That's just on my list of questions I have about Jesse Ventura. It's our mission to get to the heart of these conspiracy theories and figure out the why, the how, and especially the if. Listen to Mission Implausible on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the issue here is you're talking about, okay, well, maybe it should be Cam, maybe it should be Jared. I'm talking about like, well, maybe it should be Rui, maybe it should be, you know, Jared. We're talking about all these different configurations. And the issue there is none of these guys are are really what they need. As good as Rui is, as good as Cam is, as good as Jared is, as good as Torian is, they all have a fundamental downside. Torian, as good as he's shooting, is just not good enough to be a primary point of attack defender. He's just not. Jared Vanderbilt is good enough to do that, but he's such a huge offensive limitation. Same, I Cam, I, I would argue, is not good enough to do either. Right. And then uh, Rui Hachimura basically has to be in a switching scheme because he can't navigate screens. And so that begs the question, like if this is all going in towards a direction where you need you need to consolidate these guys and you need to turn them into a specific type of player that works to me until Darwin basically accepts that Austin is the one. And that you need to upgrade these two and three. It's hard to even get to that point where we're moving in the right direction. So I guess this would be my question. Have you heard anything internally that has uh, that that leads you to believe that there's frustration building simply from the standpoint that they can't build functional lineups? Yeah, uh, I, I think even if you look at players' comments post game, there's been and and. Some of that stuff is natural during a losing streak, so I, I don't want to like overplay that. But you've seen several guys kind of be like, "I don't know my role," essentially, or uh, you know, like I think Rui has been one of the most vocal in, in that sense of just like some nights Rui's playing sixteen minutes a night, some nights Rui's playing thirty minutes a night, uh, and it, it's really been just kind of this up and down thing with so many guys, uh, and, and like. I mean, look at D'Lo. D'Lo, uh, you know, plays 38 minutes against the Timberwolves. Starts that game two for 12. Don't really understand why he's playing so much in that game, especially when Austin has it going. And then he gets benched and plays 18 minutes in each of the next couple of games. So <laughs> right now, uh, the Lakers kind of continue to use the injury bug as an excuse, in my opinion. Of you know, we're not like LeBron was asked last night about. How do you compare against Boston, OKC, Minnesota? You guys just went one and two against those three teams. And he referenced the team's injuries. But last night, Gabe Vincent was the only guy that was out. And I, I know, you know Cam had a groin issue. LeBron obviously uh, had that collision with Jalen Brown late in the second quarter. But the Lakers have been you know, pretty healthy relatively over the last uh, couple weeks. And we've still seen them struggle uh, to beat a San Antonio team uh, without AD and just some of these losses, you know, losing to Chicago, basically fully healthy. That was the game Gabe Vincent returned. So like, I think that excuse only holds water for so long. And at some point it's gotta be like, we have to figure this out in terms of our rotations and our lineups. And I think another thing that's kind of gone under, uh, under discussed with everything right now is like, the Lakers wanted to have continuity. That was the theme of the offseason. They said it in every press conference. It was the main reason why they brought the band back together. And that continuity has basically gone out the window where you won with a Jared Vanderbilt, Austin Reeves, D'Angelo Russell starting perimeter group that has barely played together this season. And part of that, of course, is Jared Vanderbilt's injury. But you know, originally it was, well, Austin and, and D'Lo can't play together, so let's bring Austin off the bench. Now it's, well, they're playing well together, so let's bring them off the bench together and, and you know, have them run the second unit. And it's just, it, it's kind of mixed messaging. Uh, so I, I think you know, certainly there is some frustration internally uh, in terms of, you know, can we just stick with a lineup and a rotation for 
X amount of games, see what's working and what's not, and, and stop vacillating game to game the way that it has. Uh, and part of that, again, is injuries, and they have had some bad luck, and th there have been reasons why certain lineups haven't been able to play as much as the Lakers would like. But part of that's just been you know, certain guys struggle and they get benched, and certain guys struggle and they continue to play. And I think we've kind of seen now, like Torian and Cam have very long leashes in terms of, you know, like Torian had that stretch where for like 11 games, he was shooting 28% on threes and he continued to play 30 plus minutes a night consistently. Uh, Cam has had some rough stretches, particularly shooting, and he's continued to play. Whereas guys like Austin, D'Lo, Rui, like those guys are fluctuating more. So I think that, you know, you mentioned the, the consolidation with, with D'Lo and Rui. I think that's a you know the likely solution here but it, it has been kind of wild that night to night it, it's really you don't know what you're getting in terms of lineups and rotation and like part of that again is injuries but part of that is just you got to stick to something and it, but it shouldn't be this current starting lineup well and again like leaning into cam and torian as much as they have has diminished any sort of continuity like you're mm -hmm. you're, you're mentioning because those are those guys are eating up the majority of the of the wing minutes and again like like i like a long leash for especially a skill player guys like austin guys like d'lo guys like uh Rui, because you want them to always be in rhythm and so you disrupt rhythm by constantly taking them out of games there's no real upside to giving super long leashes to Torian or Cam because Torian is basically a high volume catch and shoot guy. And, and more or less, he's just shooting catch and shoot threes. He's not a guy that's actually breaking the defense down. And Cam, like, I'm not even sure you can point to a single thing that he does well offensively. So, like, it's, it's like maybe putting the ball on the floor for a 6'8 guy, he's got a little bit more pot there than some guys based on his pedigree. But, like, there's just not a lot that you're getting there in terms of upside. And so again, like I, I agree with you that the fluctuations are are occurring in the wrong spot on the roster. As far as LeBron and the excuses with injury, hundred percent agree as well, because the way I look at it, it's like, you're not beating the Celtics as currently constructed when LeBron plays like shit under any circumstances. Okay. You played really well against the thunder. And again, they're a bad matchup and they've struggled with big teams most of the year. The Minnesota game schedule loss, tail end of a back-to-back, -back, just a just a rough game, right? But there's a lot of games in there that they had no business losing. You know, even if I give you the Chicago one, because Chicago's been playing some good basketball lately, it's like you lost to a Dallas Mavericks team that was decimated by injuries, and I watched you guys not play hard to start the game. You turned it on in the third quarter. Like I watched you guys lose to a San Antonio Spurs, a San Antonio Spurs team that literally hadn't beat anybody in like a month and hasn't beat anybody since. Like that, that's that's there's no there's no oh like Jared Vanderbilt's foot's bothering him, so he lost to the Spurs. You know, like there's that to me is not something that I that I buy into. Some of this is like when you are trying to float until there's a point in the future where you reorient some things on the roster, you can't afford to lose those games. And, and one of the things that they did well at the beginning of the year is they lost to the good teams, but they took care of business against those teams. And, and that hasn't been the case as of late. And I think it's, it's, it's done a disservice to them, but let's talk about this, this uh, uh, deadline for a minute here, because We've seen D'Angelo Russell's role change. He's only taken 10 shots a game over his last nine, shooting 40% from the field, below 30% from three. Uh, it, he's weirdly important now because of Gabe Vincent's injury as essentially the backup point guard. Um, although Austin's kind of in that spot too, which is which again leads you to wonder why the hell the rotation is constructed the way it is. But I saw a star trade get suggested today. That was the first one that I've actually liked for the Lakers. I have not liked any mention of DeMar DeRozan or uh, or Zach Levine or uh, any of these other names that have been thrown out there. But Shamsarani reported today that we should keep an eye out for DeJounte Murray to be on the Lakers radar. Now, I I I want you actually to go first here. Do you do you actually view that as realistic? Because I'm wondering why in the heck the Hawks would want one first and in, in Rui Hachimura and D'Lo as, as as a package there. Do you view it as realistic? And two, if so, do you think it's a direction that would help alleviate some of the Lakers' issues right now? I, I view it as realistic insofar as I think the Atlanta situation clearly isn't working and they likely have to split that up. 
Uh, I feel like DeJounte is more of the fall guy in, in the, this scenario. Uh, and I think the Lakers would have interest in him and, and do have interest in him. And uh, there's also the clutch connection. So you can't, uh, you know, uh, uh, I, I guess, you know, overlook that. But uh, to your point, like the Lakers just don't have a lot to give up. And I, I think when front offices admit a mistake, we were talking about it with coaches, but with front offices to admit a mistake. I mean, when did they trade for him? Uh, but I don't even remember how two or three years ago. I think it was yeah, two years like ago, a couple years ago. So it hasn't been that long. Um, and you know, for for them to admit a mistake and, and given all that they gave up to get him to get a just one first round pick back, and you're not going to get Austin Reeves. So I think Austin would you know, have to be like a bona fide high-level all-star for the Lakers to include Austin Reeves in a deal. So if you're looking at something like D'Lo, Rui, uh, one of the younger guys, you know, be it Max or Jalen, and throw in a pick, Lakers have upwards of uh, four pick swaps they could throw in. So maybe you throw in a pick swap or two just to appease Atlanta and get this done. Like, is you know, is there a better package out there? And I, I think there probably is for DeJounte Murray. Uh, I look at a team like Philly, uh, and, and what you know they could potentially offer in uh, and, and Philly and, and the Lakers are kind of in, in the same boat in, in looking for the same types of players, be it an Alex Caruso or, or whatnot, uh, or you know more three and D wings. So like a, a team like Philly can come in and probably offer a better package uh, and a more aggressive package, as we know Daryl Morey likes to do. So uh, I do look at it would probably have to be a situation where just the market is dry for Dejounte and. Uh, you know, he wants to be in LA and you, you got the clutch situation and uh, the Lakers and Hawks, you know, figure out, uh, and again, probably some pick swaps in there just to appease them. But that's where I, I just, the actual package itself, I, I kind of struggle with. I don't know if you expand it to a three-team deal. feels like a lot of these potential trades for the Lakers probably have to be a three-team deal where D'Lo gets uh, rerouted to a third team uh, that's, you know, kind of an OKC Utah situation where they're just trying to absorb a contract and, uh, you know, get an, another asset out of it. Maybe that's where one of the younger guys goes as well. Uh, but I, I, that's where I, I hesitate to, to say it's realistic in terms of like actually looking at the package. But I think the Lakers, DeJounte checks the box of you could imagine him in that starting lineup uh, with his size and athleticism defensively and, and just what he's capable of. I, I think he could fit the type of defensive guard the Lakers could use. Uh, and then again, the, the clutch situation, I think kind of speaks for itself. So I think that there's some smoke there for sure. I just, I struggle seeing Atlanta pulling the trigger and, and that ultimately being the best uh, available package for him. Yeah. It's, it's funny because I I'm super skeptical as well as to the realistic nature of this type of deal but it again I as I said earlier it's the first one I really like and the main reason why is because it's a star a star but a star that kind of complements the specific issues that the Lakers are having we talked about the pros and cons of switching versus dropping earlier and I am a big believer that ideally if you have the personnel for it I'd prefer to drop and the main reason why is to me Anthony Davis at the rim is the is the best version of this Laker defense. And throughout the history of this team, the best versions of them have basically been teams that allow Anthony Davis to defend and pick and roll. And then the Lakers will switch at the end of games. They'll switch Anthony Davis in pick and roll onto the opposing star to get a couple of key stops at the end. That to me is is the is the direction this team uh, should should go in order to reach their own personal ceiling. But in order to do so, they need a legitimate point of attack guard that can navigate over the top of screens and apply back pressure. I view DeJounte Murray as that type of guy. I think he's, I, I think for starters, he came up with a defensive pedigree. And, and when, uh, uh, two, the dude was a, a huge LeBron fan early on and would probably be willing to take on a role like that in hopes of potentially achieving uh, a, a longer championship run with LeBron James and Anthony Davis. I think he complements Austin Reeves really well in the backcourt. DeJounte was a really bad off-ball player last year, having a much, much better off-ball season this year. 
fueled in large part by just him shooting the ball better in catch-and-shoot situations and being more aggressive in catch-and-shoot situations. This was a guy who looked to drive closeouts a lot in the past. Now he's taking a lot of those jumpers when he gets them. So I think it's like a it would be an absolute slam dunk as far as star trades go. That said, I still come back to the same three things. Ideally, you want an upgrade at the three, an upgrade at the two, and an upgrade at the uh, center position. And so I, I still think the most realistic and best case scenario for the Lakers is some sort of deal with Chicago where they get Caruso and someone like Andre Drummond. And maybe that that's the deal that probably requires draft compensation. And then I look at a team like Brooklyn and that's the team I'd be calling with Rui. Cause the other important part of this too is what does Rui do for Atlanta? They have the same player basically in in DeAndre Hunter. DeAndre Hunter is is very very similar to Rui Hachimura, pull up mid range jump shooter guy, kind of an on an island scorer that seems to kind of struggle in the flow of offense. And so I again to your point, they'd need a third team to even facilitate a deal like that. But Brooklyn has like three big lanky wings that are kind of like more like twos and threes. And then Ben Simmons is there for, and he's been injured basically. Right. So they don't have a big strong forward. They don't have like an actual Rui Hachimura archetype, but they have a guy like Dorian Finney Smith uh, to go alongside Cam Johnson, to go alongside Mikhail Bridges. I'd be, I'd be looking uh, to, to potentially make a swap like that where you're getting a guy like Dorian Finney Smith, which is basically Torian Prince with better perimeter defense. And that ends up being an upgrade at that position. If they did something like that, now we're talking about a lineup that could throw out Austin at the one, Alex Crusoe at the two, a guy like Dorian Finney-Smith at the three, LeBron and AD. All of those position uh, positions make perfect sense. It cleans up some of the rotation stuff, and then you'd have a playoff playable center in someone like Andre Drummond coming off of the bench, uh, which I think we've seen a lot from Christian Wood and Jackson Hayes that has left a lot to be desired in recent weeks. So I still lean like instead of targeting that bigger type of of target little trades for upgrades at starting caliber positions. You have two starting caliber players in D'Angelo Russell and Rui Hachimura that don't start for you because you already have guys in their positions. You have to find a way to turn them into starters that slot into those positions. Do you agree with me or do you think that they should go big fish hunting? I agree with you. I I think it depends on the big fish. Uh, I think DeJounte Murray is as you were implying, going in the right direction uh, in comparison with a Zach Levine or even a DeMar DeRozan. Uh, I think I, I would prefer DeRozan over Levine if I'm the Lakers, and I, I know they feel the same way. Uh, but even there, the, you know, with his lack of three-point shooting and his defense is passable you know depending on who he's guarding but like i I still think there's a bit of a fit issue there both starting and closing games uh whereas with Dejounte, i think he would slot in properly you could close games with with him in austin you could start games with him in austin though i don't know if they would go in that direction uh but i I think it just makes more sense Uh, but i'm with you and i know that this is something that they've been weighing and, and really it's been one of the big questions for the lakers as an organization over the last few years has been do we chase the third star or do we go uh, for the role player upgrades? And I, I think you know, we, we saw with the Russell Westbrook situation that they chased the third star. It did not work. Now, granted, uh, outside of Ben Simmons, that might have been the worst third star to pair with LeBron and AD <laughs> in terms of fit. Uh, it probably was the worst. Uh, but. You know, so I, I don't know if that's like the best example of what a third star could look like next to LeBron and AD. Like I, I think when they were going after Damian Lillard briefly, like that would have been a perfect fit in my opinion. Um, you know, you, you could have AD covering for him defensively and uh, with his shooting and, and pick and roll ability, uh, alleviating a lot of that burden off of LeBron. And of course, you know, he's been a top 10, 12 player uh, over the last few years. So uh, I mean, that that's the high level upgrade, of course. But um, like I, I think there's degrees here where just just blanketly. You know, saying that a third star won't work or, or won't fit, I think is a mistake, but they don't really have the assets to get the type of third star that would fit perfectly next to LeBron and AD, in my opinion. Um, it would really have to be a terrible contract or, uh, you know, a, a situation where, you, you know, they, they can get a third team involved and, and maybe that can help facilitate it. But I, I just don't see it, the, the Lakers being straight up, you know, being able to find that type of third star 
that really takes them to the level of a Denver or a Boston. So to me, it is a smaller upgrade. Uh, I'm with you. I think 3D wing has been the biggest issue for this team really since the championship. Uh, you know, they, they haven't been able to replace. I mean, they still had KCP and, and Kuz that second year, but injuries and, and whatnot. But like they haven't been able to replace that, uh, you know, since the Russ trade with, you know, KCP, Kuz, Danny Green, even Alex Caruso is more of a three and D guard. Like they just haven't had those types of guys consistently. Uh, so, you know, it's always been one flawed, like Jared Vanderbilt, really good perimeter defender, but can't shoot and teams just play him off the floor in the playoffs. So, I think finding at least one of those guys, if not a couple, if possible, like, uh, you know, maybe you can't get Caruso and you go for Royce O'Neal and Dorian Finney-Smith. And, uh, you know, Royce O'Neal obviously isn't the caliber of player that Alex Caruso is, but to me, it would still be an overall upgrade to the rotation if you could bring both of those guys in. Those are two guys the Lakers have had interest in uh, dating back to last offseason and, and even last trade deadline. So uh, I know that those are two guys that they would have interest in, in bringing in. So I think you know, we're, we're on the same page here in terms of if, if you can find the, the perfect third star somehow and, and make that work and, and make a miracle, uh, you know, pull it off. Like, sure, go for that. But realistically, I, I think it's going to have to be a, a marginal upgrade in terms of the starting and closing lineup. But that's still very important for this group is obviously they have yet to figure out what's our best five-man lineup and we're over 30 games into the season. That That's the key there is like, you have to find a way to make Darwin's job easier because he's struggling. He's struggling. I, I mean, like I, I said this yesterday, the other day, and I truly believe it. Like in all my time watching basketball, I can't ever remember a lineup decision that confused me as much as this starting lineup move. And it's not born out of, you know, foolishness from Darwin. It's born out of desperation. He's straight up trying to find something that works. Now, I think he's grabbing at the wrong stuff, personally, but I, I, I do think that this is born out of desperation, out of situation. And like, at the end of the day, you have to, you can no longer have it. You you put it like this in your tweet uh, the night that they announced the starting lineup, and it really was this simple. The three, three of the top five highest players, the, the highest paid role players outside of LeBron James and Anthony Davis all came off the bench. That's just a misallocation of resources, plain and simple. You're, you're, you're making your job harder. And so finding ways to, to, uh, to make it so that it's pretty straightforward that your five best players are on the floor to start and finish games is the Bill Simmons, you know, always said this, uh, when I was growing up listening to him and I thought it was smart. It's just like, who's your five, who's your five, like who's the five you're going down with. And the Lakers don't know. And, And that's the problem. And they have a problem here because even number three isn't viewed as number three by the head coach. So, so it, it, it becomes an issue there. Now, I actually, again, you have to, you have to add realistic uh, expectations here. I agree with you. Like Philly's going to be aggressive. Miami's going to be aggressive. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we see teams like Oklahoma City, Indiana, and Sacramento get aggressive more for a front court player. So, like, a Golden State's going to be aggressive. There, I think this is going to be an extremely active deadline, and I do think the Lakers are going to get outbid by some of the bigger targets out there, or for some of the bigger targets. And so, I think it is going to be important to try to find, you know, guys that are where where you're getting more out of the sum of the parts, if that makes sense. And, and I, honestly, Royce O'Neal is an interesting kind of fallback option for like a two guard. Uh, one of the things I like about Royce is he's not afraid to shoot the basketball. <laughs> like uh, that, that is something that I think could uh, could go well with that group. And he is comfortable a little bit behind the three point line as well. I, I think I think I think you're uh, you're hitting at all the right stuff there. I think like realistic targets, upgrades at the role players. Those are the directions to go. I've seen a lot of people talking about Austin's defense. I I can think of a lot of ways the Lakers are, could lose on their way to a title this year, and none of them involve Austin becoming an issue. They just don't for me. Like I obviously there are there are moments where he can get exploited for his lack of size, but having one guy on the floor like that is a problem every single team has. I watched Denver literally get relentlessly attacked in the post by Andrew Wiggins and Jonathan Kaminga on Jamal Murray. 
you know, I've seen uh, teams do it to Boston's guards. I've seen teams do it to Dame and to Malik Beasley. That's that to me is just a fundamental part of a good basketball team is you got to have a point guard on the floor and he's probably going to be smaller and he's probably going to be a guy that can be attacked. That to me is something you have to learn to work around instead of just bailing on entirely. And so to me, it's about the two and the three. Um, all right, before we get out of here, is there anything that you uh, wanted to plug? I know you've been working really hard over the holiday. Yeah, just uh, I my my story today about uh, the starting lineup, and uh, I think the headline literally was, uh, you know, doesn't make any sense. And uh, I, I mean, I go into some of the reasons, uh, you know, look at some of the early possessions of just the way they're defending the Lakers uh, and why uh, it's a mistake to continue using this lineup. The trickle down effect, I, I think you were talking about offense leading to defense. Like that's the the other thing here is if you're not scoring. You're giving up uh, your transition baskets, and that's what I think there was a uh, play early in the game. Cam runs a pick and roll because the Lakers need a, another ball handler out there. He's running pick and roll. He turns the ball over, and the Celtics score in transition. It's like if you have Cam as that fourth or fifth ball handler in the lineup, you're not really running into that. But when you put him as arguably the second ball handler in the lineup now, that's where you you have some of these issues. So uh, to me, you know, Lakers clearly have to go in a different direction with that lineup and, and the way that it affects the rest of the rotation. Uh, but that, that would be the the main thing. Um, I'll, I'll have some stuff coming up, uh, you know, for the new year and in, in terms of uh, state of the Lakers and sort of where things are at. But uh, for now, uh, just enjoy uh, a breakdown of why their new starting lineup doesn't make sense. One of the things I appreciated was that in that second half, I don't know if you noticed, but they just started posting up LeBron and AD every single possession. And like that to me is the the at least the the right counter to that none of our other guys can dribble situation, which is which is something to uh, to, to look at. But like I, I Jovan and I have joked about this off the air, but like in a weird way, this has been kind of like the perfect Lakers season because obviously everybody outside of the Laker fan base just thinks they suck. And I I tend to think that's wrong. I think this is I think the Lakers are the team that have the largest gap between their night to night effort and what they're capable of, which is going to lead to some mixed results in the regular season that are going to make them look lesser than they are. But it's kind of perfect because they're in my opinion one of the short list of teams that genuinely has a chance to win the title if they hit if they hit at the deadline. But tons of drama, tons of of shitty basketball for us to complain about over the course of the 82. Uh, Jovan did an amazing job in his article today. He uh, broke down a bunch of specific video examples of the way that the floor shrunk on the Laker uh, starters with the way that that lineup was constructed. I highly encourage you guys to check it out. As always, we appreciate you guys for supporting the show. We'll have a show tomorrow coming out with power rankings as well as some game breakdowns. I will see you guys then. presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 infinity qx80 live march 20th from the edge at hudson yards in new york city featuring a performance by john batiste the all-new 2025 infinity qx80 is an suv designed to help every passenger feel just right be the first to see it march 20th at 7 p.m eastern only on iHeartRadio's youtube channel save the date at new-qx80.com don't miss it 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get our way. A brand new show from My Heart Podcast where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Seifer. And I'm Jerry O'Shea. We spent over 30 years in the CIA uncovering global conspiracies. Conspiracies aren't just a theory to us, which is why we started our podcast, Mission Implausible. Everyone has questions about conspiracy theories, but with our background, we can actually answer those questions. 
anyone can just start screaming about microchips and Jewish space lasers. But it's our mission to remove the bull and get down to what's real. Listen to Mission Implausible on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.